0: The beginning,
1: the beginning, the beginning, the beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Black, and we have the one and only Jade Carlin Black back on the podcast. How are you doing, Jade?
0: I'm well, thank you for asking. Good morning.
1: It's been a while since you've been on, so I'm glad you're able to uh, get you on. It's a little early for you since you're in BC, so <laughs> thanks for, for joining us today.
0: No problem. 7 a.m., and uh, which is typically not too early, but on sunday it might be just a little but just grateful to be here this morning and um it's actually still dark here so it seems earlier than it is but i um, excited for this episode and just happy i was able to make it in my schedule so yeah good morning everybody and, listening
1: and just a uh, a quick note that we actually have our courses up and running now so the online courses that you've heard a little bit about So the Grief Dreams one is up, and then I did one with Jade. And if you want to talk about that quickly, Jade?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We've actually joined the Teachable family. So that's a platform we can access courses of all different disciplines and interests. And ours is actually, uh, the focus of ours is um, using modern intimate relationship as a vehicle for awakening or growth or expansion personal capacity building. So me and Josh really just ventured out to share experience together in relationship and how we navigated that and all the beautiful things that we've learned through our our marriage, our divorce and our continuing you know, bond of friendship. So uh, super organic course, excited to have done it. It was such a long time in the making, but we finally came to a place where we decided we were ready to put that those principles and sentiments out into the world. So there it is. Yeah, you can access it. You can just go to griefdreams.ca and and look under courses. There's a link there to go and join the school that's called Black School of Thought and then you can access the course that way and so I encourage anybody who's listening who wants to expand their knowledge of self while in relationship or perhaps if you're looking for an intimate partnership and and it might be of interest uh, to you that way as well. But Yeah, excited that we launched it, and it's great.
1: Yeah, it it was a it's so great to do, and then also that grief dreams one. I've been wanting to that since I started with everything, just to be able to raise awareness around the world on the topic. So it's now out, so people can learn all about it. And I want to say too, this is the first time. So 180 episodes, first time we even told anyone that we used to be married. People actually, a lot of people thought you were my sister. (laughs) And so I know now the the scoop is out. Yeah. But uh, no, we're actually we're married. And...
0: <laughs> and people often say to me, "Oh, you guys look alike. That should, that that could be your brother." Like if I give the business card or whatever, right? When we were pitching her podcast guests, yeah, they think we're siblings. So I'm like, no, that's, um, yeah. So it was just always like this thing we never really talked about, and so yeah, it was just not like the focus of attention. But I think if you're not in our inner circle, then you wouldn't have that knowledge. But yeah, cool. Cool to kind of put that out to the listeners and have an opportunity to, to share a piece of our lives more intimately with, with whoever's interested in, in um, knowing. So yeah, cool. All
1: right, let's move on with the podcast. I heard this song that this individual wrote, and it just brought me to tears. So I'm so happy that she's able to come on today. So today we have Bailey Rainwater, who is a Nashville bass singer-songwriter who graduated from Belmont University with a degree in songwriting and music business. Before the pandemic, she was playing shows in Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia. While she hopes to return to performing after COVID, she's currently focusing on writing full-time, running her small bed and breakfast, and becoming a certified Pilates instructor. So Bailey, thank you for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So I was so touched by the song you wrote, and I can't wait to start talking about it. But before we go there, I'm really curious about just your your love of music and like how you really got into wanting to be a singer songwriter.
2: Well, I loved music when I was a kid. I loved watching CMT, especially music videos. And at the very end, they don't do this anymore. But at the very end, they would put who wrote the song at the bottom. And I remember talking to my mom about it because I was like, what, who, what does that say? Like, who are these people? She was like, well, I think that's the songwriters. And I was like, so like, this didn't actually like happen to Faith Hill. Like, this is not like Faith Hill's actual life story. She's like, no. (laughs) I was like, okay, that's crazy. So that's when I kind of first got the inkling that being a songwriter could be a job and that there was way more people involved in making a song come to life than just the artist so I started writing probably around six or seven all kinds of stuff not just lyrics I wrote little plays and I wrote little books and I journaled and yeah so that's kind of how I first uh, was introduced to writing and then just as time went on like in middle school is when I really started dedicating myself to writing specifically songs and picked up the guitar taught myself how to play guitar and then midway through high school i decided to just cut out all my other extracurriculars and just focus on music and that's when i applied to belmont and decided to really go for it so that's kind of how i got started you
1: know i had the same sort of feeling and i it was only till like i think more recently that I realized there are songwriters (laughs) like I always thought the artist was also the songwriter, but not all the time. Yeah. Like, Oh, interesting.
2: I remember specifically like uh, Martina McBride's song independence day, which is very dramatic. And like about like this woman setting this house on fire. And I thought that was really what happened to Martina McBride when she was a kid. (laughs) And I was shocked to find out that that was just a song that other people wrote for her to sing.
1: I think mine was Celine Dion's song, My Heart Will Go On. I always thought cuz she just because she sang it, I thought she wrote it, but no, it's not true.
2: <laughs> and what an epic song that is.
0: <laughs> so how does that? Can you just like so how does that work? Do you write a song and then you pitch it to to artists or do people come to you and say like, "Hey, I'm I need like I want to do this in tandem" or like how does that that work for the majority or or is it like buried?
2: There's a few different ways. I write a lot alone, um mm-hmm. but I also do a lot of co-writing as well. So you can write songs alone or with other people and they can be pitched to artists. They have pitch sheets that show who's cutting, who's looking for songs. So it might say, you know, little big town is looking for this type of song. They've they're looking for a ballad or they're looking for something up tempo or They'll have like little specifications. It can't be about this or that. And then also it can be it can be writing with an artist and getting songs cut that way. So there's a lot of different ways that songs come to be and um, get placed with different people. But a lot of people do write their own stuff. So,
0: yeah. Hmm. And so I'm curious. I see you're obviously from Nashville. And so I don't know a lot about Tennessee or Nashville, but I hear that lots of um, I know that lots of really uber talented uh, musical people come out of that place. So, what does that geographical location have to do with influence on your on your love of music? And how does that kind of play into the story?
2: Well, it's great to be around other people who appreciate the art of creating a song in the same way that I do. And I don't know. I think that there's just a great energy. About Nashville especially I live in East Nashville I think the energy over here is great but yeah it's just it's just like a creative spirit and uh there's a lot of people here obviously trying to write and make music and all other kinds of art too it's just a good community feel cool love that
0: and so did you do you're like born and raised there
2: no, I'm I from – my, my dad is uh, actually a farmer and a horse trainer and owner. My mom is a teacher, and I'm from southern Illinois, which is just about three and a half hours north of Nashville. So it's not super far. Um, yeah, I grew up there, very small town, very rural life. And um, luckily, my parents have been really supportive of me moving to Nashville and um, making music cool
1: that's great it's amazing to to really see the different careers that people can have in life and for you to really bring us up it it, like i never went that route and for me i'm I'm just so curious about you know do you need an agent once you're done like how does or do you just is there a platform people go on that that they're requesting songs like i have no idea what goes on and how to even get like a, a song to an artist
2: well, it's, it's really changing. Even since I got to Nashville, it's changed because of social media and the internet and technology. You know, it's a lot more affordable now to record than it used to be. You used to have to go to a professional studio and spend a lot of money recording. Now you can record in somebody's bedroom and it can sound amazing and everybody has these little home studios and you also don't have to have the middleman, you know, in previous to the nineties, in the nineties you had, you had to have a a label deal to distribute your music. Now for $10, you can distribute music online and send it to all the streaming platforms. And you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay up front for to get cds made and shipped and all of that so there's a little bit um, of an easier way to access an audience and then also with social media you can do your own promotion you know you're not relying on physical promotion so there's it's a lot more open there's a lot more room and because of that there can be more like niche genres I'm sure you all listen to a lot of different stuff on Spotify, but there's just more room, I think, for stuff like that to get through.
1: And how was going to university? Because I think that's the first time seeing a degree in songwriting and music business. And so did that really help? Is that something that you'd recommend others do also?
2: I loved my time at Belmont. There are only a few songwriting programs here in the US. I think it's Berkeley, Belmont, and there might be one other one it's kind of competitive because obviously they don't want a bunch of people getting songwriting degrees and then not able to go forward with it. But, um, so it's a small program. My class sizes were super small, but I loved it. I love, I love writing songs. So obviously in college, you're really getting to study what you enjoy. And I loved learning about publishing and copyright law and all of these ways that the music industry works and all of the splits and all of that. So I really enjoyed it and would do it again. And yeah, I have only good things to say about Belmont. I loved getting to intern and being here in Nashville. Belmont is just right at the end of Music Row, which is where most of the publishing companies and record labels are at. So I got to intern at a lot of awesome places and I was going to shows and meeting people. And I also ran the songwriting student organization at Belmont. And I enjoyed doing that, so I would say overall it was a great experience for me.
0: So cool, and I think that's just like a your your range of knowledge, like like you were saying, copyright law and like all that. So you get to like really learn, like really learn all those nuances where like of the industry where people who are just into the mu- uh, the more creative kind of aspects. I think it's hard too for like artists in general. I know, like as a as a right re- like being a writer and stuff I'm super interested in the creative stuff and then when it kind of goes to the not so creative stuff I'm like well that's a little bit of a learning curve and so I think that's really cool that you had the opportunity like to meld um all those important facets of the industry and and have the have the kind of creative thing as well it's it's kind of I don't know I think it sets you up to win to have that opportunity to go to school and and learn the more like concrete stuff and logistical stuff and it's interesting. Yeah, I don't I didn't I didn't really know like a songwriting degree that was never like a thing in my in my mind either that that was an option. At my university they didn't really have that, I don't think, or or, or it wasn't as pronounced. So super interesting. And so you said that your parents were Supportive of this? Did they always did they always nurture that in you, or or was that more a conversation of you saying like I'm really into music, I want to pursue this? Or did they kind of have like insights as you were growing up that that's what you were kind of destined to be? I guess.
2: Well, they knew I loved to sing, and they knew that I was creative. And looking back, I'm not sure if I can remember if they were. If they ever tried to point me in another direction, I'm not sure I remember that because I was probably just blinded by my own ambition and passion for writing. I probably wasn't listening anyway. There's definitely been times where I think they've worried a little bit because it is not like a regular job. But yeah, overall, they've been really, you know, especially with this song, I sent it to my dad and he had a really emotional reaction to it, which he is not like a a guy who's super open with his emotions like he he's not like a crier or anything so for him to call me and be like this is a really good song you know felt great and it felt like that validation of of um you know being proud and 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 uh, liking something that i made because not all my songs have been really songs that necessarily for older men <laughs> I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of pop stuff that is not necessarily geared towards him, but it was nice to be able to have a song that he could really appreciate and connect with.
1: Yeah. It's got to feel so great when family members actually like what you're doing, like what what you're passionate about. Yeah. (laughs) And it was a while just even for my family to get on board with the grief dream stuff. And, you know, once it was my mom was probably the biggest fan in everyone in my family. And just like for her to start listening to the podcast and even going to some of my talks, it it meant a lot. And like we forget our, I think, you know, our family members maybe sometimes forget how important that can be. Just encouraging us to be able to know that we've picked the right direction in a way. Like we're following our heart, but yet we still want, you know, some approval that uh, we're doing what we're doing is meaningful to people.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of my education at Belmont was you know I had a few classes that were actually about the creation of songs but I also studied some audio engineering stuff and music theory and music business and a lot of music history which I loved but there is another element to being a creative person whether that's creating a podcast or writing or writing songs or scripts or whatever and that's like there's this whole there's this whole element of I call it like the mental game, which is just being able to have the balls. Can I say balls? (laughs) Just being able to have the balls to pursue something, you know, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people are too scared to fail, to actually stick their neck out and try to do something bigger or make something new because there is that window for judgment there. And failure and there's a great quote I can't remember exactly what it is but it's like if you can't take any criticism seriously if they're not also in the arena getting their butts kicked you know so I think it's hard to get friends and family on board initially because they love you and they're scared for you to fail which you will until you succeed but it's just about having the courage to go for it.
0: Okay, the quote. I, I know the quote. The quote's Brene Brown. It's a Brene Brown quote, but and I love her. She's it is. Amazing.
2: She's she says it, but I think it's a it's a a president's quote. I think maybe like Roosevelt. Yeah, she says it, but yeah, it's it's a it's pretty old, but yeah.
0: Amazing. I mean, I love that aspect of it. I'm interested in talking a little bit more about that. But so courage to show up and to like do something new and and your family being scared for you which is sweet but so where does that come from for you because anytime you are putting yourself out there like you said or how you refer to it sticking your neck out where where does that kind of juice come from for you because yeah so many people are are afraid and and would be extremely intimidated by putting themselves out there in that way
2: well I mean I'm just Scared all the time. (laughs) I'm just, I'm (laughs) always scared. (laughs) Yeah, but I do it anyway because I would rather just fail my entire life than never try. And that sounds cheesy, but I mean, there's, it's also about consuming like a healthy diet of motivational content. I read books and listen to podcasts and try to nurture that creative part of me that. I think a lot of people lose in childhood somewhere along the way where they felt like what they were making wasn't good enough. So they just kind of switched gears to something else. But just trying to like keep that alive because it is so easy to get bitter and jaded and not want to create because it wouldn't be the best thing ever. But yeah, I'm always wondering after I write something, even if I have that immediate like this is good. I, I really like this. I think this is great. And then what comes after is the maybe this is trash, you know, or you know, you're recording it or you're about to release it and it's like, "Well, what if it doesn't do very well or what if it doesn't get very many plays or you know, if people aren't sharing it or or responding to it, it's just a whole mental game of maybe it sucks." <laughs> but I think overall reading like there's, there's so many great, there's so many great books, big magic. I don't know if you've read uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, big magic is one of my favorites.
0: I actually just and, finished that book like two months ago. Yeah. Did you love it? I loved it. It's great. It's And so much, yeah. so much of it felt like, like obviously those it's just like awakening that information that's already in you. So it's like, as, as I'm reading it it was, it, it was less aha moments and more like affirmations kind of, and a validation for decisions I've already been making and justification for decisions I've already been making or things that I couldn't articulate in a way. Cause she's like an amazing writer, beautiful writer. And yes. Yeah. Just the whole time I was reading the book, I was going, "Hmm, hmm." like it, it, so it was great. And, and just reaffirmed a lot of things and just, yeah. Reading stuff like that just gives you that push and that momentum to just say, I'm going to keep going forward with whatever I believe in and keep following my passions and understand too, that I really like the part about your, your passion is, is there to serve you and you're there to serve it. It's not like a one way kind of relationship. It's you're like feeding off, off one another. And a lot of times you feel like you're like, we pity our passion or like, Oh, I'm not, you know, breathing as much life into you as I should be. And understanding that those passions find you as well like you love them and they love they love you and you're in this kind of divine relationship with your creative endeavors and and um if you pay attention they will take you where they need to take you and 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 to really respect your passions and have that kind of a relationship with it I like that I like that idea and it minimizes the pressure to perform or to like suck whatever I can out of it or put conditions on it and stuff. So I I, I like the way she words you know, she words stuff and great book. Somebody recommended that book to me and um, it was amazing.
2: Yeah, I would say that's the one thing that I think I didn't learn at Belmont that has been like an ongoing education for me is that there's this whole other piece of keeping your your heart full and keeping your soul sane by being really mindful about creativity and not letting there be so much weighing on it that you can't actually share what you've made because you can write all day long and never let anybody read it you know she talks about having genius versus being a genius And uh, also, like, ideas just kind of floating around and, you know, almost like this whimsical, ethereal type of uh, approach to creativity that we don't necessarily have anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to show up for your work every day and for your creativity and put in the hours even when you don't feel like it. But taking that pressure off of, like, I, you know, the song I wrote today sucked, but just letting that be the song in the room that the you know the creative fairies did not bless you with the best song today and that's okay it takes it off of you (laughs) having to be the genius every day
0: you know (laughs) right right that's not a thing well it's more it's it's rooted in acceptance and you know things that help us cope with life but I I particularly like the idea of you know how she said like ideas are floating around and then you just snatch them. And if you don't embrace them, they go to the next person. And so how much does that resonate with you in like the music industry and the songwriting world? Like if you have an idea for a brilliant song, do you believe that if you don't do your part to materialize it, that it'll go to another songwriter?
2: Oh, for sure, for for sure. And this happened to me last year, maybe like a year and a half ago. I had this title for like six months that I loved. I won't say what it, what it was, but it was. Sure. I think it was a great title, and I I kept trying to write it, and I was trying to write it more pop, and I actually brought it into a write, and we were about halfway through it, and the next week I it was a Friday, and it was a new music Friday, and I got on my phone and I saw the title, and it was another girl in town who had released it, and I was just like, no, 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 no. And I went and listened to it and it was amazing. I mean, they just they just wrote this song to the nth degree, like it was perfect. Um, and of course, there's that moment of like, dang, like I wish I would have thought to write it like that, first of all. But I'm also, you know, just for the life of a song of when they wrote that and recorded it, you know, I'm at least six months late if not later, but it was floating around for me for a while. And I kept trying to write it, kept trying to write it. And I just didn't get it done. And I'm sure that it found the right place because it's a great song. But that was one of those moments where it's like, okay, like that is real. That is totally real because that idea deserved to be heard and created and it found the right person, you know?
1: Yeah, that's actually so cool. What an interesting story! And I, you hear that with a lot of things where even that well, people will say how they didn't do something and someone else invented that thing that they thought of, but they just never went after it. And you yes, know, I think the creep it's, rooms
0: it's so wander. strange because people people often say, "Oh, that's my idea." Do you know what I mean? Like, "Oh, that person stole my idea." They I've heard that phrase so many times, or and it's like, no, that person didn't steal anything. Like that's it's not possessive in that way. It's like, you know, but I've, I've heard so many people say that, oh, that was my idea for a business or that was my idea for a book. And it's like, no, that was on borrowed time, honey. That's just, that was, that was the thought or an idea. It's moved to the next person. <laughs> like it's, it's not, creativity isn't only yours. Like lots of people have, have ideas and there's timing and so many different factors. And, and so I think celebrate when your idea moves to somebody else. Because um, I just think that's good juju, like to understand, you know, that it might not be your time. Or, like you said, you know, they did, if you were bitter, you'd be like, oh, they did a poor job at production or whatever. But for you to say it's beautiful, I mean, that speaks a lot to your character, too, to allow that to go to where it needs to go and understand that.
2: I mean, I would be lying if I wasn't at the time really mad at myself for not dedicating myself to the idea further which I had to some degree it just I I wasn't hitting the right mark on it I knew the idea was good I just couldn't find it you know they did it they did it kind of more indie it wasn't like this upbeat pop thing which was what I was trying to do I mean they really dialed it back um, and made it really earthy and that's exactly what it needed I just hadn't arrived there yet <laughs> but there was definitely a part of me that was like dang like you should have Worked a little harder on that a little earlier, you know, but it does take away that feeling of someone stole an idea because five years prior to that, I might have said, well, how many people have I taken this right, this idea, sorry, how many rights have I taken this idea into and is there a chance that, you know, can I draw the lines between people to figure out how it got to this person? Or is there, have I told somebody about this? You know, like, has this idea been stolen? But I didn't feel that that way at all.
1: And that sort of goes to the new song, which I'm glad you're able to put out. It wasn't stolen. It wasn't taken from anyone else. You did this. Um, So it's called Christmas Time. And so what? where did that idea come from, right? And then why did you want to write a song for those who are suffering loss?
2: Part of it is that... I have not ever truly grieved. and But I've watched my family members grieve. I lost um, an uncle a few years ago and watched my cousins who I'm close with grieve. And that was really a huge reminder to me that someday I will lose my own dad. And there's some anxiety that comes with that of knowing that something's going to happen to you someday that's going to be terrible you know it's like it's like the slow-mo right before the car crash in the movie Um, and you're just kind of anticipating it you can't live your life that way and then and another reason is I've watched my parents lose their parents lose their dads and a big part of it was uh, just this year 2020 and the pandemic and Watching the numbers go up, watching the news, you know, CNN has the ticker and coming into the fall, I wrote this song in October. So coming into the fall, just thinking, wow, that's, I saw that number is look at all of those families that are going to be grieving first year without somebody grieving this holiday. And I can't imagine what it's like. Of course, in October, that's when all of the Christmas decorations and they start, Gearing up for Christmas, I can't imagine what that feels like to walk into a store and see all of this stuff, and just know that your world has been turned upside down. And that there's all this jolly music and happiness and joy, and I just can't imagine how upsetting that would be. And so that's kind of where the idea was born. I was just thinking about that and just the sadness I had in my heart. Thinking about all of these families who have lost loved ones to COVID, and then also, I had sat down just to warm up one day, and I was—I decided to go through some Christmas songs, just Christmas classics, to just warm up my voice. And I immediately was like, "This is what I need to do." It was—it was, it was kind of like um, a, a thing because this song happened so fast. It was like I didn't have time to to think about it too hard. I just immediately thought. I feel like we need a song for people who are grieving during the holidays. And I had a co-write like the next day, brought the idea in. We wrote it in one session and cried. I couldn't even get through the work tape. And I was immediately setting up a session to record it and try to get it out as soon as possible. So that's where the idea came from.
1: Wow. It just like, it seemed like it was just, just a, it's almost like it feels like so easy. It just came out. You had the right people at the right time. And it sounds, you know, I said like I cried when I listened to it. Cause even though it, it's been, well, I think 15 years since my dad died, it still brings up the grief. That's still there. It's still inside. And it's just, it's, it, it's there. And it just, it's waiting for something to trigger it for you to remember it almost. Cause it's hard to get there. I think just on your own at times, but when you, with music, the beauty of music, is that it can pull out some things that maybe you have forgotten about or have a hard time really sitting with, it can really bring that out. And so I was like really reflecting on my father and, and, and his loss and also how difficult it is even now to not have him around and my family, right? So my grandmother and, and his sister, for him not being around because that was the one thing that I remember is like they really valued him because he brought a lot of humor, to the i guess christmas parties and you know now that's not there so it can be kind of boring now and so like the life of the party was actually the thing that was taking taken away
2: yeah i think i after writing this song i started looking at a lot of content on instagram and about grieving and about grief and uh, grief during the holidays and i realized you know a lot of things that people do uh, when they're around people who are grieving at the holidays are to not talk about it, you know or to not mention it or to kind of pretend like things are fine and from what I've read online is a lot of people would prefer that you talk about it you know they don't want people to pretend like everything's normal, you know, but people are really uncomfortable around grief so yeah i I think um, I think there are uh, a lot of Families this year who are gonna have that same sentiment that you just described about you know missing that person, especially when it's like a patriarch it's it's um it's a big hole
1: when you're writing the song, did you ask your parents about their loss over the holidays to get an idea of what they go through?
2: uh there wasn't time it just it happened so fast. I tried to write the song to where it was general enough that it could be about a man or a woman and because there are no like pronouns in the song but I also didn't want to make it where it had to be about a parent you know if when you listen through it it can really be even though it's personal it stays general enough for people to be able to think about the person that that they lost but when I was writing it I was thinking a lot about my cousin Lacey who lost her dad in 2016. And I was thinking about my Uncle Michael Law and just thinking about, you know, her experience. I did text her a little bit as I was writing it because I knew she would love it. I texted her and I was like, "You're, I'm writing this Christmas song and this is what it's about. And she's the first person I sent a work tape of it to. And in the bridge, there is like a little um, part that – is really in memory of my Uncle Mike. But I think that I, I was more coming from her point of view, still trying to keep it general. And at the end of the day, while I was writing this song for my parents and for my cousin Lacey, and you know all of these people and all of this hurt that I know is going to happen this year and is happening, I think – For me, the saddest part is knowing that someday this song will be for me because I know I will lose my parents someday and I will have this song already recorded. It won't be about me upset, not being able to get through it, not being able to sing it, but I know I will listen to it someday when I'm grieving my own parents. And that's what gets me the most emotional thinking about it is to be writing a song for yourself in the future, essentially. So just thinking about what that's going to feel like And thinking about my own parents and, and how they speak and what they would say. And yeah.
1: Well, it definitely takes great courage for you to even think that your parents will die in the future. A lot of people don't really think that way. But as you said, like once you went there, you could feel something and your writing skills are phenomenal. So the music, as you said, it, it does apply to so many types of loss and be able to connect with people and to, to help them feel and to be almost remembered. I think that's, as you said, the big thing is to to for people to remember that they are grieving and to ask about their loved ones, just because that's the one thing that goes away the quickest, especially at, at Christmas time. And so what we're going to do is we'll, we'll play this, play the music, so people can have an understanding of what you wrote. Is there any words you'd like to say before we play it?
2: Yeah, I guess i I do want to say too, I think something that I didn't realize when I was writing it, um, but afterwards I kind of realized was it's not a song that's necessarily inspirational. It's more just about saying, you know, I'm sad, I'm missing somebody, and just kind of sitting in that sadness. It's not trying to make you feel better, saying, you know, with time this will get better. It's just saying, You know, it's Christmas. I miss somebody, whether it's been a year or 10 years or 15 years. And this is sad. So it's not trying to do anything crazy other than just acknowledge that.
1: Okay. So here it is Christmas time.
3: falling and the stars are twinkling outside the stores all the bells are jingling the lights on the trees and children believe this used to be my favorite season and now i wish you were here you proud. I hope that you're up there smiling down. And all the memories are play in my mind. I know what you'd say if you saw me cry. Chin up, have fun. Let your heart be filled with love. And I swear I still wish you were here every year at Christmas time.
1: Just amazing song hopefully it has moved and allowed people to feel a little bit this holiday season and where can people find that so they don't have to replay the podcast over and over again
2: <laughs> it's on it's on spotify it's on all the streaming services and of course you can buy it on itunes but it's much better for being for you to stream it on spotify
1: <laughs> all right and so when looking at your own holiday sort of memories, so your uncle mike believe you're saying um, yep. Do you have any memories of him over the holidays? Did he come to your house or did you go over there?
2: I would go over to my uh, Aunt Crystal and Uncle Mike's house. He was just like a jolly light of a man. He he wore like overalls a lot with like n- like no shirt on underneath. <laughs> but he just had a very distinct voice and a very distinct laugh and was just just like a good man. You know, it, it just... I don't know anybody who could say anything bad about him. Just a sweet soul, a good dad, a good husband, and just a great, a great man.
1: And so when we look at the holidays, I know like there's certain memories that we can have. And even just for, like for me, one of the things just with my father that he used to always do that I miss around the holidays is he used to always wrap his Christmas gifts in like newspaper to like save money. And <laughs> like, it's just one of those things when I see like newspaper I always sort of reflect and, and remember him. And I know like other people have their own certain things when it may comes to the recipe that they have of the loved one that they sort of usually do at Christmas time. And so is there anything that, you know, when you think of Christmas, you think of them?
2: I would say like for my uncle Mike, for some reason, so we, this isn't necessarily a Christmas memory, but we used to all go camping. Together, um all extended family. And my Aunt Crystal and Uncle Mike would make these like massive breakfasts, like biscuits and gravy and bacon and all of this stuff. And like the smell of bacon reminds me of my Uncle Mike for sure. <laughs> like just, <laughs> there's just something, because there were so many of us, so it would be like a lot of bacon. So yeah, I can just, I do think of him sometimes whenever I smell bacon, which is kind of funny, but. <laughs>
1: That is a good memory. And it's like, if you did want to remember him over the holidays, just cook some bacon and you you got a holiday memory, right? That's right.
2: That's right. My family, my grandma, Christine, we had these massive New Year's Eve uh, get togethers. Now all of my cousins, my dad's the youngest, so his kids are the youngest of the cousins. So basically everybody's grown and has their own families now. But we used to have these big uh, Christmas Eve parties at my grandma, Christine's. And it was just basically chaos. It's just too many people in a room and just laughing. And my dad is really silly, funny, just goofing around, trying to be the center of attention, basically. And but yeah, that's just, that's my, my Christmas memories on my dad's side. And on my mom's side, my, my mom's dad passed when I was like six or seven. And, and I'm the, oldest grandchild on that side. So I'm really the only grandchild that really remembers my grandpa Roy. And I do remember when he passed being a child and I remember my mom getting the call. We were in the McDonald's drive-thru and and her being shocked, obviously. And we went to his house and I was a child. So I think you understand what's happening, but you don't really understand like the finality of it. And I remember she put uh, one of my siblings down to take a nap in his bed. And I was like, why would you, like, touch his bed? Like, that's where he just got up this morning, you know? I was like – I just remember kind of being offended by that. Like, that was really inappropriate of her to do, to, like, move his bed around when he had just got up. So that's probably the start of, like, the overly sentimental part of me even in childhood.
0: I have lots of, like, my godmother, Naomi, and, like, all of them around food. I know we've talked about that before. I don't know why we get fixated on on food. I guess it's how we live. But, yeah, just, like, she was, like, the best cook. So just eating everything that she made in the kitchen and just remembering, too, like, what what she wore around Christmas. She'd have, like, these, I don't know. It's like a mew mew. It's like a big like, you know like a like an older what older ladies wear in the kitchen when they like have have you know bare feet and like it just this big comfy robe on and she's just cooking everything and uh the best breakfasts and everything and and so lots of those memories and actually i I've been thinking about her a lot. She died on the fourth of November, and she. And that was in 2004, so that's been a while. But I still think of her, like, every time, every year during this time. And she, her, like, her funeral ceremony, the song, she loved the song Ave Maria. And so every time I hear that song on the the radio, like the Celine Dion version, I, like, come unglued and I have to, like, pull over. And then I just cry in my car because it's, like, ah... It's like, you know, uh, it's a memory. It brings everything to the forefront. And that was this, like when she transitioned, it was a super uh, difficult time in my life. Like I didn't know, I was just figuring out like where I'm going or who I am or what I want to do with my time and all those things. So that kind of experience is is closely related to like a, a period of confusion for me, but also a period of pivot, you know, to... How my life has been like since then so it's like a real mix of of stuff but needless to say christmas time is like a major trigger in that way but also like a beautiful a beautiful reminder of everything that she gave to me and the way she loved me
1: and so i'm curious bailey have you ever had a dream of anyone who has died
2: i have i had um dreams of my uh grandpa roy when i was younger i don't remember the specifics of them i just remember that i had them um i think with time and i i talked to some friends about this knowing that i was going to talk to y'all about dreams about different kinds of dr- grief dreams that they have had uh with some of them being comforting and stuff it would be i i wish i've i've journaled my whole life i wish that i had written down some of these childhood thoughts that i had on grief and dreams, because I would be really interested to know what they were, you know.
1: Right? Yeah. No, I hear you. There's, there's a lot that we forget over time, and you know, especially within childhood. And so, I'm curious in what, what uh, dreams have people sort of shared to you or, or talked to you about?
2: I have had some friends saying that they've had dreams of their their grandmothers um, talking to them, telling them that they're okay. I had a uh, Another friend tell me um, her dad died of COVID earlier this year, and that she's had dreams of him getting out of the hospital and telling her that he's fine, he beat it, he's all good. So things like that. My mom said she had dreams about her dad, but over the years, I guess they've kind of tapered off. So yeah, those are some of the things that people have reached out and, and told me about.
1: Well, that's nice. I'm glad you were able to ask some people the question, because most people will. That's what the research has shown. And just also, you know, do they remember it as the other thing after the fact? And some some of these dreams stay with people for a lifetime. Other times it does fade over time. Like there's like, I have like maybe a handful with my father, but I probably forgot maybe, you know, like six or seven like that just weren't as meaningful to me Mm -hmm. like the other ones were. And so, yeah, it's just an interesting question to ask people because more more or less they're going to say yes um, at some point within the, like probably the first couple of years. So I'm curious if you could have a dream tonight of someone who has died, it could be you know your uncle, it could be someone else, maybe a famous singer that has died. And what would that dream look like to you?
2: I think I lost my cousin Logan a couple years ago in a motorcycle accident. And he was 20 years old, so obviously it was unexpected and shocking and upsetting. If I could choose (laughs) to have a dream or receive some kind of message or have a conversation, it would probably be with him because I would love to be able to tell my Aunt Paula about that. And I think... I've always said even because just with the deaths that have happened in my family with my uncle Mike he had cancer and we knew that his time was coming to an end and and a couple of years later with my cousin Logan this is on my mom's side it was sudden and I think regardless of if you know or don't it's it's still just as upsetting and so I do think with Logan being so young, though, I would like to be able to have a dream and talk to him and tell my aunt about it.
1: I like it. Do you want Logan to be the same age he died at? Or do you want him have grown up a bit?
2: I don't know, because he has a daughter, which he had when he was a senior in high school, I think, which at the time, we were all like, you know, young to have a child. And then having him pass a couple years later, it it gives you that feeling of, you know, we're so thankful to have her, obviously, and to have a piece of him. And, you know, maybe everything happens for a reason. But because of that, I think it would be weird to see him getting older and him not being here for her. So I feel like it would be kind of a frozen in time thing because... Obviously, ideally, he would have been here to to watch her entire life flourish, and and she was two at the time. So a lot happens <laughs> between two and five. You know, now she's in kindergarten, and just her communication skills and her personality, and and all these things, little things that are so much of him. It just it. I think it would be sad to think about him growing up without still being a part of her life.
1: Yeah, I wonder if she will dream of him as she moves forward in life. Because We had some people on the podcast that you know their loved one died when they were, one was in womb. Other times they were younger. And they had dreams of their parent as they moved forward that helped continue that bond and that relationship as they moved forward. So you know, hopefully you know, she has her own positive dreams to be able to remember him. Because I said like he wasn't around now. When now that memories are being you know formed for the most part, he's just not able to be around. So hopefully she she can have those dreams as she moves forward.
2: Well, we also have two now, like with the aid of technology and just memory keeping, so much photo and video content of people that we just didn't have. My uh, Grammy, she lost her dad when she was. Two years old, the same age as Georgia lost Logan. And I've talked with my Grammy about this a lot. And, you know, a lot of people will say it, when a young child loses a parent, well, she won't remember. Or I guess there's kind of this feeling of they're so young, they're too young to grieve, really, or to really understand what's happening. But it's still something that my Grammy gets emotional about, even at 70 years old is still upset for all the memories she wasn't able to make with her dad, and wishing and wanting and wondering what he was like, and only being able to rely on these stories from other people, having very few photos of him. And I know she's had dreams about her dad talking to her, and I'm wondering if It will be easier for Georgia to, because she, I'm wondering if it will be easier for Georgia because she has these videos and photos and so much content of her with her dad and to be able to see how much she adored her and loved her. If it will be an easier go for her than it, than it was for my Grammy to, to lose a parent so young.
1: Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. I think it would be right because they have the video and they be able to see them in action a little bit more. Yeah, that that would be interesting to to know.
2: And, it, and it keeps the memory alive. I know I, I've gone through our home videos to uh, make some some content for Christmas time for my Instagram and stuff. And it's like, once I see the video, I'm like, I actually remember that and I had forgotten about it you know it jogs the memory and and it definitely keeps the memory alive and also i i'm wondering if our brains do this to where you can kind of create your own memory even if you truly didn't remember that moment i think it would be really easy to think you remember something because you're watching it back and you're kind of creating that memory new from that point you know
1: yeah, it's interesting. To think about. It. All right, so it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I want to just thank you for tapping into your own big magic to really write this song for people that are going to be grieving over the holidays in many different ways. And when I so I say like when I played it, it touched me. And so I hope that that can touch our audience, and also you know for people to in the audience to share the music, so more people can feel this Christmas to be able to remember that loved one in their own time. So thank you so much for just being you and, and trusting your instincts.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Where can people find you? I know you said you had Instagram and you have some fun content on there, like putting up a Christmas tree and putting up lights on your house. <laughs> <So> where can <laughs> people find this content?
2: Most everything is on my Instagram right now, which is just at Bailey Rainwater, Bailey with two E's. And then I've also got I, um I also sew and I am making ornaments that are that have the Christmas time lyrics on them, different lyrics from the song. So those will be on the store on my Instagram.
0: So cool. I love that.
1: Yeah. What else you got in the store? Well,
2: I'm just going to have the ornaments up there for now and probably some of my uh remaining merch from last year which is just koozies and a couple t-shirts so right now that's all it is i wanted to do greeting cards this year but it just with the short turnaround it just wasn't gonna happen (laughs) so i did design them but i think the the magic of a christmas song is that i can do greeting cards next year and i can be talking about christmas time next year it's 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 not a song that's going to fade into the background for me because I think every year I'll be able to bring it back to life. So,
0: well, this has been a really interesting conversation for me too. And I'm grateful that you're on and, um, yeah, I encourage everyone who's listening to go in and check out, I did a little peruse of YouTube and you just have the most amazing voice and I admire people who can sing. That was a, a, a talent that missed me, unfortunately, but, uh. Music is just such a beautiful way to connect to everything, our emotions and uh, memories and events. And and so just so cool. I encourage everyone listening to to check her out and do a little uh, search there and take in some of that beautiful music. And I'm wishing you a wonderful holiday season, whatever that looks like to you this year. And yeah, thank thank you for taking the time to come on and chat with us. Thank you so much.
1: And I hope you get to go on stage soon because <laughs> I can't imagine what it feels like to not be able to be on stage when it's such a big part of your, your career and your life and the excitement that you probably get when you're on there. So hopefully in a year, next year, you're back on, on doing your tours.
2: Right. Bigger and better things coming, right?
1: That's right. This is just time <laughs> for songwriting. Then it's going to be the tour afterwards. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's right.
1: All right. So for our stuff, you can check out our platform, griefdreams.ca, for more information on the topic. And that's where you can also look at and go into the online courses that we have. And if you want to donate, you can also donate there too to the podcast. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group or you can go to Twitter, Instagram, at griefdreams. So with love and gratitude from us to you.